0: You're listening to Morning Short, the podcast that brings you one great short story every morning. Available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and any podcast app. Today's story is The Cabman's Story by Arthur Conan Doyle. Thanks to strikingly.com for sponsoring today's story. We built Morning Short's website on Strikingly, and we've become big fans. It's just so easy to use. Launch your free website at strikingly.com and use the code MORNINGSHORT to get an exclusive discount when you upgrade. And now, to the story. We had to take a growler, for the day looked rather threatening, and we agreed that it would be a very bad way of beginning our holiday by getting wet, especially when Fanny was only just coming round from the whooping cough. Holidays were rather scarce with us, and when we took one we generally arranged some little treat, and went in for enjoying ourselves. On this occasion we were starting off from Hammersmith to the Alexandra Palace, in all the dignity of a four-wheeler. What with the wife and her sister, and Tommy and Fanny and Jack, the inside was pretty well filled up, so I had to look out for myself. I didn't adopt the plan of John Gilpin under similar circumstances, but I took my waterproof and climbed up beside the driver. The driver was a knowing-looking old veteran, with a weather-beaten face and white side-whiskers. It has always seemed to me that a London cabman is about the shrewdest of the human race, but this specimen struck me as looking like the shrewdest of the cabmen. I tried to draw him out a bit as we jogged along, for I am always fond of a chat. But he was a bit rusty until I oiled his tongue with a glass of gin when we got as far as the green anchor. Then he rattled away quickly enough, and some of what he said is worth trying to put down in black and white. "'A pay me better,' he said in answer to a question of mine. "'Why, of course it would, but look at the position. "'A four-wheel is a respectable conveyance, and the driver of its respectable man. "'But you can't say that of a rattling, splashing handsome. "'Any boy would do for that job.' "'Now, to my mind, money ain't to be compared to position, whatever a man's trade may be.' "'Certainly not,' I answered. "'Besides, I've saved my little penny, and I've got too old to change my ways. "'I've begun on a growler, and I'll end on one. "'If you believe me, sir, I've been on the streets for seven and forty year. "'That's a long time,' I said. "'Well, it's long for our trade,' he replied. "'You see, there ain't no other in the world that takes the steam out of a man so quickly.' What with wet and cold and late hours and maybe no hours at all. There's few that last at it as long as I have. Well, you must have seen a great deal of the world during that time, I remarked. There are few men who can have greater opportunities of seeing life. The world, he grunted, flicking up the horse with his whip. Well, I've seen enough of it to be well nigh sick of it. Well, as to life, if you said death, you'd have been nearer to mark. Death, I ejaculated. Yes. Deaf, he said, why bless you so, sir, if I was to write down all I've seen since I've been in the trade, there's not a man in London would believe me, well, unless maybe some of the ever cabbies. i tell ye I took a dead man for a fare once, and drove about with him nigh half the night. Oh, you needn't look shocked, sir, for this wasn't the cab. No, nor wasn't the last one I had, neither. Well, how did it happen, I asked, feeling glad in spite of his assurance that Matilda had not heard of the episode. Well, it's an old story now. "'said the driver, putting a small piece of very black tobacco into the corner of his mouth. "'Theaters had all come out, and though I kept up and down the strand until nigh one o'clock, "'I got nothing but one eighteen-penny job. "'I was thinking of giving it up and going home when it struck me "'that I might as well make a bit of a circuit and see if I couldn't drop across something. "'Pretty soon I gave a gentleman a lift as far as the Oxford Road, "'and then I drove through St. John's Wood on my way home. "'By that time it would have been about half-past one.' and the streets were quite quiet and deserted, for the night was cloudy, and it was beginning to rain. I was putting on the pace as well as my tired beast would go, for we both wanted to get back to our suppers, when I heard a woman's voice hail me out of a side street. I turned back, and there in about the darkest part of the road were standing two ladies, real ladies, mind you, for it would take a deal of darkness before I would mistake one for the other. One was elderly and stoutish, the other young and had a veil over her face. Between them there was a man in evening dress, whom they were supporting on either side, while his back was propped up against a lamp post. He seemed beyond taking care of himself altogether, for his head was sunk down on his chest, and he'd have fallen if they hadn't held him. "'Cabman,' said the stout lady, with a very shaky voice, "'I wish you would help us in this painful business.' Those were her very identical words. "'Certainly, Mum,' I say, for I saw my way to a good thing.' "'What can I do for the young lady and yourself?' "'I mentioned the other in order to console her like, "'for she was sobbing behind her veil something pitiful. "'The fact is, cabman,' she answers, "'this gentleman is my daughter's husband. "'They have only just been married, "'and we are visiting at a friend's house near here. "'My son-in-law has just returned in a state of complete intoxication, "'and my daughter and I have brought him out "'in the hope of seeing a cab in which we could send him home.' "'for we have most particular reasons "'for not wishing our friends to see him in this state, "'and as yet they are ignorant of it. "'If you would drive him home to his house and leave him there, "'you would do us both a very great kindness, "'and we can easily account to our hosts for his absence. "'Well, I thought this a rather rum start, but I agreed, "'and no sooner had I said the word "'than the old one she pulls open the door "'and she and the other, without waiting for me to bear a hand, "'bundled him in between them. Or where to?' I asked. Forty-seven Orange Grove Clapham, she said. Hoffman is the name. You'll easily awaken the servants. And how about the fare," I suggested, for I thought maybe there might be a difficulty in collecting it at the end of the journey. Here it is, said the young one, slipping what I felt to be a sovereign into my hand, and at the same time giving a sort of grateful squeeze which made me feel as if I'd drive anywhere to get her out of trouble. trouble. Well, off I went, leaving them standing by the side of the road. "'The horse was well-nigh beat, but at last I found my way to forty-seven Orange Grove. "'It was a biggish house, and all quiet, as you may suppose, at that hour. "'I rang the bell, and at last down came a servant. A man he was. "'I've got the master here,' I said. "'Got who?' he asked. "'Why, Mr. Hoffman, your master. He's in the cab, not quite himself. "'This is number forty-seven, ain't it?' "'Yes, forty-seven, right enough, but my master's Captain Ritchie, and he's away in India.' So you've got the wrong house. That was the number they gave me, I said. But maybe he's come to himself by this time and can give us some information. He was dead drunk an hour ago. Down we went to the cab, the two of us, and opened the door. He had slipped off the seat and was lying all in a heap on the floor. Now then, sir, I shouted, wake up and give us your address. He didn't answer. I gave another shake. Pull yourself together, I roared. Give us your name and tell us where you live. Well, he didn't answer again. Well, I couldn't even hear the sound of his breathing. Well, then a kind of queer feeling came over me, and I put down my hand and felt his face. It was as cold as lead. The cove's dead mate, I said. Well, the servant struck a match, and we had a look at my passenger. He was a young, good-looking fellow, but his face wore an expression of pain, and his jaw hung down. He was evidently not only dead, but had been dead for some time. What shall we do, said the flunky? he was white as death himself and his hair bristled with fear i'll drive to the nearest police station i answered and so i did leaving him shivering on the pavement there i gave up my fare and that was the last i ever saw of him or did you ever hear any more of it i asked but here i thought i should never hear the end of it what with examinations and inquests and one thing and another The doctors proved that he must have been dead at the time he was shoved into the cab. Just before the inquest, four little blue spots came out on one side of his neck and one on the other, and they said only a woman's hand could have fitted over them, so they brought in a verdict of willful murder. But, bless you, they had managed it so neatly that there was not a clue to the women, nor to the man neither, for everything by which he might have been identified had been removed from his pockets. The police were fairly puzzled by that case. I've always thought what a bit of luck it was that I got my fare, for I wouldn't have had much chance of it if I hadn't been paid in advance. My friend the driver began to get very husky about the throat at this stage of the proceedings, and slackened his speed very noticeably as we approached a large public house, so that I felt constrained to offer him another gin, which he graciously accepted. The ladies had some wine, too, and I followed the example of my companion on the box, so that we all started refreshed. The police and me has been mixed up a good deal continued the veteran resuming his reminiscences. "'They took the best customer I ever had away from me. "'I'd have made my fortune if they would let him carry on his little game a while longer.' Here, with the coquetry of one who knows that his words are of interest, the driver began to look around him with an air of abstraction and to comment upon the weather. "'Well, what about your customer and the police?' I asked. "'Well, it's not much to tell,' he said, coming back to the subject. "'One morning I was driving across Foxhole Bridge.' "'when I was hailed by a crooked old man with a pair of spectacles on "'who was standing at the Middlesex end with a big leather bag in his hand. "'Drive anywhere you like,' he said, "'only don't drive fast, for I'm getting old and it shakes me to pieces.' "'Well, he jumped in and shut himself up, closing the windows, "'and I trotted about with him for three hours "'before he let me know that he had had enough. "'When I stopped, out he hopped with his big bag in his hand. "'Well, I say cabbie,' he said, after he'd paid his fare. "'Yes, sir,' said I, touching my hat. You seem to be a decent sort of fellow, and you don't go in the breakneck way of some of your kind. Well, I don't mind giving you the same job every day. The doctors recommend gentle exercise of the sort, and you may as well drive me as another. Or just pick me up at the same place tomorrow. Well, to make a long story short, I used to find that little man in his place every morning, always with his black bag and for nigh on to four months, never a day passed, without his having his three hours drive and paying his fare like a man at the end of it. I shifted into new quarters on the strength of it and was able to buy a new set of harness. I don't say I altogether swallowed the story of the doctor's having recommended him on a hot day to go about in a growler with both windows up. However, it's a bad thing in this world to be too knowing. So, though I own I felt a bit curious at times, I never put myself out of the way to find out what the little game was. One day I was driving tap to my usual place of dropping him, for by this time we had gotten in the way of going on regular beat every morning when I saw a policeman waiting, with a perky sort of look about him, as if he had some job on hand. When the cab stopped out, jumped the little man with his bag right into the arms of a bobby. Why arrest you, John Malone, says the policeman. On what charge, he answers, as cool as a turnip? On the charge of forging Bank of England notes, says the bobby. Oh, then the game is up, he cries, and with that, he pulls off his spectacles and his wig and his whiskers, and there he was, as smart a young fellow as you'd wish to see. Well, goodbye, cabby," he cried as they let him off, and that was the last I saw of him, marching along between two of them, and another behind with the bag. And why did he take a cab, I asked, much interested. Well, you see, he had all his plan for making the notes in that bag. If he were to lock himself up in his lodging several hours a day, it would soon set people wondering, to say nothing of the chance of eyes at windows or keyholes. Or well, again, you see, if he took a house all on his own hook without servant nor anyone, it would look queer. So he made up his mind as the best way of working it was to carry it on in a closed cab, and I don't know if he wasn't right. He was known to the police, however, and that was how they spotted him. But drat that van, it was as near a touch as to my off-wheel. Bless you if I was to tell you all the thieves and burglars and even murderers has been in my graveler one time or another. You'd think I'd given the whole Newgate calendar a lift, though to be sure this young chap as I spoke of was the only one as ever regular set-up business here. There was one, though, as I reckon, to be worse than all the others put together, if he was what I think him to be. It's often laid heavy on my mind that I didn't have that chap collared before it was too late, for I might have saved some mischief. It was about ten years ago, why I never was a good hand for dates, that I picked up a stout-built sailor sort of fellow with a reddish moustache who wanted to be taken down to the docks. Well, after this chap, as I told you of, had taken such liberties with the premises, I'd had a little bit of a glass slit let in in front here, the same as your little boy's flattening his nose against at this moment, so's as I could prevent any such games in the future, and have an idea whenever I wished of what was going on inside. Well, something or another about this sailor fellow made me suspicious of him, when I took a look at what he was after. He was sitting on the seat, sir, with a big lump of coal in his lap, and was looking at it most attentive. Now, this seemed to me rather a rum start, so I kept on watching of him, for as you'll see, my window's not a very large one and it's easier to see through it than to be seen. Well, he pulls a spring or something and out jumps one of the sides of his little bit of coal, and then I saw it was really a hollow box, painted, you see, and made rough so as to look like the other. I couldn't make head or tail of it anyhow, and indeed I'd pretty near forgot all about it when there came news of the explosion at Beamerhaven, and people began to talk about coal torpedoes. Then I knew as in all probability I'd carried the man who'd managed the business, and I gave word to the police, but they never could make anything of it. You know what a coal torpedo is, don't you? Well, you see, a cove insures his ship for more than its value, and then off he goes and makes a box like a bit of coal, and fills it chock full of dynamite or some other cowardly stuff of the sort. He drops this box among the other coals on the quay when the vessel is filling her bunkers, and then in course of time the box is shoveled on to the furnaces, when of course the whole ship is blown sky high. Or well, they say there's many a good ship going to the bottom like that. "'But you've certainly had some queer experiences,' I said. "'Why, bless you,' remarked the driver. "'I've hardly got fairly started yet, and here we are at the Alexandrie. "'I could tell you many ever story as strange as these, "'and true, mind ye, true as gospel. "'If ever your missus looks in need of a breath of fresh air, "'you send round for me, Copper Street, number 94, "'and I'll give her a turn into the country, "'and if you'll come up beside me on a box, "'I'll tell you a good deal that may surprise you. "'But there's your little lad a-hollering to you like mad "'and the wife wants to get out.' and the other ones a tapping at a window with a parasol. Take care how you get down, sir, that's right. Don't forget, number 94. Good day, missus. Good day, sir. And the growler rumbled heavily away until I lost sight both of it and its communicative driver among the crowd of holidaymakers who thronged the road which led to the palace. If you enjoyed this story, don't forget to give Morning Short five stars on iTunes so more listeners can enjoy our podcasts. Support for Morning Short comes from strikingly.com. We became big fans after spinning up our site on Strikingly. It's just so easy to use. If you want to launch a beautiful website for your portfolio, startup idea, or business, check out Strikingly. You don't need any tech or design skills. Hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs and creatives have already launched their site with Strikingly. So start yours with strikingly.com for free. Use the exclusive code MORNINGSHORT for 15% off when you upgrade to PRO. Learn more about the Morning Short project and sign up for our daily emails at morningshort.com.